week's episode of Phenomena, the podcast where we talk about women who have been underrepresented or written out of Irish history. I am your host, Maria Butler, currently studying a PhD on my favourite Irish woman, Marion Keyes. And this week I am joined by my old college roommate, <laughs> former actress, <laughs> writer, and currently working with Dance Ireland. Hello, Andrea Bulger. Hello, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Wow. <laughs> when you listen to so many podcasts, you're like, one day I'll have my own introduction. And now I did today. Thank you, Marie. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> Who are you going to talk to me about this week? So this week, I'm going to speak to you about Dame Ninette de Walla. I really hope I'm pronouncing that right, but you might correct me, Maria, if I'm not. She was a ballerina, a choreographer, and she went on to found what is now known as the Royal Ballet in England. And she is originally from Wicklow. So, yeah. I am super excited about this one. I did ballet for years as a little girl. I quit before I went up onto point, but like it was my dream to dance for the Royal Ballet and I was furious with my mother for not letting me like move over to Sadler's Well when I was six years old because that's the reason why I was not a prima ballerina nothing to do with talent (laughs) absolutely not no she should have let you have gone absolutely yeah I found it really really interesting to read about her life I didn't know anything about her before this so it was yeah what a lady yeah very interesting since I work for a dance company to learn about someone who was so instrumental in the history of ballet so yeah so de voila was born in wicklow in 1898 she had a different name to begin with she was called edris stannis what do you think of that name to be honest i was like thinking that it would be something like relatively plain but (laughs) edris stannis is that Maybe it's Edris, sorry, E-D-R-I-S, Edris Stranus. It's like somebody got the wire in Game of Thrones and decided that they were going to name their children based off both of the shows. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a great name. Well, both are great names. Anyway, yes, yeah, she was born in Wicklow. She only remained there until she was seven before her family moved to Kent. They came from, it seemed like quite a well-to-do background. They lived in a place called, I think it was Balti Beggs, which is near Blessington in Wicklow. They moved out of there though. I think the upkeep on the house was a little bit too much for the family. Her dad unfortunately passed away in the First World War. So it was her, her mum and her three siblings then who were in Kent. And although she left Ireland when she was quite young, in any of the literature on her, she said that Ireland remained really close to her heart and always was a part of her life. So that's nice. Very nice. And supposedly she got her first kind of experience of dancing in Ireland in the kitchen, apparently. Doing a little jig. Where we all start, you know? (laughs) I fully thought for a second now I know that they haven't been around this long but I was half expecting you to be like in the Billy Barry kid no but actually I think she I think that she went to see her first show in the Gaiety which I think was Sleeping Beauty which she went then sorry excuse me went on to stage later on in life uh, with her company so 
yeah, no Billy Barry, just an Irish kitchen, just a jig. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they moved over to Kent and she began dancing from quite a young age. She went to, I think it was the Vila Academy for Dance. And so she grew a penchant for dance quite early. Um, <laughs> quite early. And yeah, which would have been quite unusual considering her family was, I think, quite well to do for her to be allowed to move into that as a career. And it doesn't seem like her mum had any problem with it. I think she might have even helped her form her stage name. So she began dancing quite young and the company, sorry, the dance school that she began with as a child, they formed a small kind of traveling show, I think the Wandering Children. And so she danced with them throughout her teens. And yes, she decided quite young that this was going to be her life. Dance was for her. When Devoila got to her late teens, early 20s, she got to join the Ballet Russe, which was a traveling company. Is it French or Russian, the Ballet Russe? I thought it was Russian, but it's actually French. The guy who ran it was Russian, but the company, I think, was primarily made up of French dancers. And in England at the time, yeah, ballet really would have been known to come, traveling companies to come from France or Russia. So I think quite early on, I think when... Devoila joined this company. She danced with them for about three years. While she was there, she really picked up and learned techniques and ideas as to how she wanted to form her own company. But the one thing she didn't want was to have a touring company. She wanted to have a permanent base in London, but that would have been completely unheard of at the time. So yeah, she she danced with them for about three years. Corps de Ballet or Prima or what? She was Prima Ballerina in a number of different productions. She was very well known as ballerina, but she actually had polio when she was a child. So that stopped her eventually from dancing herself and becoming more of a choreographer. There's not too much on that, but it is noted in some articles that she had polio. That makes me feel like way worse for never making it to professional (laughs) ballerina status. I know. What excuse did you have, Maria? (laughs) The uncooperation of my mother. <laughs> I know, I know. I think you would have been a great ballerina. Absolutely. Very, very tall. That's the thing, you see, I reckon I was too tall. That was the other thing that I was going for. Those are the main reasons why I was never a ballerina. Uh, all five foot six of me, too tall. Um, oh. my, my flat feet and uh, that my mom wouldn't let me go to join the Royal Ballet Company School in London. <laughs> I always thought being tall and having long limbs would kind of a credit to being a good dancer but I suppose maybe are they all really small and petite you probably know more than me I've never seen I've never gone to the ballet have you Andrea Bolger yes of course (laughs) I know it's actually awful I was only talking about this with someone in work I was like I work for like a national organisation that represents dance. I haven't been to the ballet. I've seen them rehearse in studio and they're amazing. But uh, I know. Where did you go? Did you see it in Ireland or was it abroad? Yeah, so I used to go to, there was like the Welsh Ballet Company used to tour mm. Ireland a lot when we were kids. So I, I saw them a few years in the Watergate in Kilkenny. But I wasn't mad about them because they were like too contemporary and I wanted tutus. Okay. 
and they had like <laughs> lycra leotards and stuff and then I saw the Cork City Ballet in Duswan Lake in Cork oh. but I've read I've always wanted to see like the Royal Ballet or one of the big proper ones in like the full get up with the tutu and like you were talking about Sleeping Beauty and there's a bit in Sleeping Beauty where Aurora does like something like 50 pirouettes in a row without putting her foot down and I've wanted to see like that shit what okay <laughs> you want the hardcore hardcore <laughs> stuff yeah <laughs> I want the Hamilton of ballet okay okay I'm with you okay I've got the local dramatic society version of ballet <laughs> <laughs> yeah so where were we yeah so um as I said de voila was with that company for about three or four years they would have traveled around and all the while in her head she had it that she would start her own company in London so in 1926 a pivotal point came and she met Lillian Ballet who was the director of the Old Vic and this was someone she connected with a lot they got on really well and they both had the foresight to kind of think ahead to long-term plans I think for kind of the arts and and what could go ahead so at the time Lillian couldn't quite offer her the space that she needed to start her company. She kind of let her come into the theatre and maybe do a little bit of choreography work for more theatre-based shows and opera, but at the time just couldn't quite offer her the space. So she worked a little bit there in the old Vic. Um, She also went over to Cambridge and did some choreography there at a theatre. I think her cousin helped her out with that job. And then also at the same time, she worked on a WB Yeats play and Yeats came and seen her and said, hey, you're great and you're Irish. Why not come back over to Ireland and start a school over here? So she did that. She came back over and started the Abbey School of Ballet. So as well as being fundamental in starting things off um, in England, she also brought it back to her good old home home place <laughs> in Ireland, in Dublin. Is that school still going? It's actually not still going. So some of the kind of alma mater of it, they kind of went on to run their own things like the Irish National Ballet. And I think like it continued on when she left it. But it's not, it's not still going today. That's a pity. Yeah, so Nanette and Yates hanging out. She worked on a lot of his plays, the choreography, and he actually had her in some of the plays. She was in one called The Only Jealousy of Emer. I was looking to Yates and, well, I know his poetry, don't really know his plays. Mm. Maybe you do. I quite like his poetry, but I kind of got burnt out of theatre by all of you guys in college. <laughs> For for everybody listening, I lived with drama students for most of college and had to see an awful lot of amateur theatre for four years. Great amateur theatre, I'm sure. Quality, <laughs> quality amateur theatre. Um, yeah, I feel like you were just an extension of another theatre student, you know, <laughs> like it, we didn't see any any difference between um, what you studied. Well, you studied English, so, you know, there was there was links there. But um, yeah, anyway, WB8, great poet. I always just think of Morgan when I think when I he pops up and his pursuit of her. But anyway. We did um we did another woman on this last season, Teresa Devi. She was cool. She was a deaf playwright who ended up writing radio plays. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, I have heard of her. Yeah. And he was a bit of a dick to her, so I don't like him. Okay. We'll scratch him off. <laughs> scratch him off the list. <laughs> Moving swiftly on, she collaborated, Minette collaborated with Yates for a while on different productions. And as I said, he got her to come over and start up a school in Dublin. So she split her time between Dublin, Cambridge and London for about six years or so, up until around, say, 1935. The Abbey School, yeah, it continued on and she would come over maybe every three months or so just to check in, see what they were doing. But eventually the school actually shut down, I think, some financial cutbacks. I'm going to ask a diversionary question here for a minute. There are two diversionary questions. One, when did she come up with the name Nanette de Valois? And two, did she ever actually go to Russia? I don't think I came across any... I don't think there was anything I came across about her going to Russia, no. Just with the name, I always kind of assumed that she had spent time, like she had trained as a dancer in Russia or something like that, but no. No, I think the origins of the name came from family ancestry in France. I know that her mum helped her choose the name and it somehow came from there, but I don't, now unless she travelled to Russia with Belarus, because they were a travelling company, it could have been highly likely that she did go to Russia, but she didn't actually train there, certainly. And then, yeah, I think she changed her name. 1913, yeah, was when she decided to change her name. I think it suited her quite well. <laughs> A dramatic grand name. <laughs> and we'll touch on it later. But yeah, it seems like her nickname was Madame. I'd like a nickname like Madame. <laughs> Although, dear, I don't know, dear, madame. Um, yeah, so that's how her students and who I think she kind of considers her children kind of refer to her as madame. Yeah, so as I mentioned, she had a lot going on for a few years between Dublin, London and Cambridge. So finally, as I mentioned before, she had a really strong relationship with Lillian Ballet while this was all going on, while she was doing choreography and teaching, she was also setting up the bones of what would become the Royal Ballet Company. In the late 1920s, Ballet, who was in the Old Vic, she harboured a passion to get the Sadler's Well Theatre up and running, and it was quite dilapidated at the time. So that is where De Voila's Ballet Company, really the origins of it began. They became known as the Vic Wells Ballet to begin with, although they were dancing and creating work in Sadler's Well. And yeah, and De Voila, like her choreography, there's three kind of main works that are still known today. I think Job is one of them. She did. She choreographed a lot herself, but she would bring in kind of her close friends and she would hire people to come in eventually and choreograph the work for her. And she would essentially run the company and they also then created a school as well. So while her choreography work wasn't of maybe the highest standard, isn't as well known as she herself is known, there are one or two that I think would still be known today and probably still taught in schools today okay yeah so um she was an all-rounder oh yeah one of the um prima ballerinas i think that de voila worked with was someone called margot fontaine 
maybe you know her since you are a lover of the ballet. I didn't know you had such a passion. I mean, I, I, yeah. I was like, for there was a stage throughout my childhood where I would only read books that were about ballet set in boarding schools or written before 1905. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I could get like the intersection of those three all the better. Oh my God. <laughs> um, yeah, Margot, looking at her, she was quite a babe. And so was Nanette, actually. I love when you see those old photos of them. Yes, she was quite stunning and she was, I think, 16 when she came in and took over the like the lead roles in it. She took over from someone else whose name I cannot recall at this moment. Margot, Margot Fontaine, is it? Yeah, from another prima ballerina. She's like one of the most famous ballet dancers of all time. Yeah, I learned a lot about her. God, there's just so much you can learn when someone gives you something to look at. <laughs> Isn't it just great? <laughs> yeah. I can just imagine you going into work and being like, guys, I understand what we're doing now. I know. Yeah, yeah. I know. I was looking, I was <laughs> looking things up and came across an article uh, with Ballet Ireland who are a company who work in our studios and say there was a little bit and they planted a tree in the net's honour. And I was like, hey, guys, guess what I know now? I know who she is. She was amazing. <laughs> she actually married an Irish man, I think it seems, although I couldn't find out too much about him. He was a doctor. Maybe she had to marry someone, a doctor. I'm, I doubt there was much money in what she was doing. Certainly, even if it went on to become the Royal Ballet. But I'm sure the main struggles for the, for the majority of her 40, 50 year career, I'm sure there was not a whole lot of money in dance. Are you insinuating that she married her doctor husband so that she can afford <laughs> to run her, her ballet company? I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying it ain't right. <laughs> when I was back in my acting days, <laughs> people would say, <laughs> don't go out with another actor. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. They didn't They didn't have any children. I think they had some, I think they. she had two stepsons. They seemed like they had a happy marriage for about 50 years. He passed away before her. I always say that I would like Connor my partner to pass away before oh no I want to pass away before him so I don't want to stay on my own that's nice isn't it <laughs> just an uplifting thought I kind of used to feel that way when I was younger but now I want to stay alive as long as I possibly can yeah imagine now that our lifespans are going to really lengthen and that will it's possible that we could live well into our 90s hundreds like 90 now doesn't I feel like 70 or 80 was really old but now I feel if you get to like 90 then you're like oh that's old you know what I mean yeah I do know like part of me is kind of afraid of living that long as well because like what if the money runs out like I'm doing a PhD I have no pension (laughs) (laughs) well Nanette was 101 I think or 102 when she passed away yeah, we should find out what pension plan she was on, find out where this money was coming from, how she survived. 
with possibly coming from founding one of the most prestigious <laughs> companies in the world. Maybe. Yeah, I guess. I guess there would have been some money there eventually <laughs> to let her live comfortably. <laughs> anyway, yes, so she, she married a doctor. It seemed like they had quite a happy relationship. There was one account where it was mentioned that I think one of her neighbours mentioned her being a great housewife and that she would always have dinner on the table. But maybe that was a, you know... That's so frustrating that they'd even mention that. Yeah, it was a, it was a really it was a really weird one, you know, just like ran her own company, her own school, fought for everything, and then this little note up, oh, she was she's a nice housewife. It doesn't matter. It's like talking about oh, I don't know, literally any male historical figure, and being like, and while he did that, he was also great at ironing shirts and did a mean curry. It's like fuck. I know, I know. <laughs> I like that it was mentioned a couple of times that she had quite a good humour with that. She was, sounded like she cut you down. Mm. But, you know, you kind of would imagine that from a grand mistress of ballet. You know, you kind of imagine that she's going to have the manner to um to take you down. I'd say she'd make you or break you as as a ballerina. Anyone who calls them themselves a dame or did she get was that she got I don't know what you call that she was given lots of awards and and things for being brilliant anyway the early kind of start and foundations of growing the company it had a lot of different homes so when the second world war broke out in 1939 Sadler's well could no longer just be a theater and a place of dance it was a refuge for people who were injured or homeless people. So the ballet company was actually on tour throughout that time and it earned them a lot of praise and acclaim and kind of gained the love of people that they were on tour <laughs> while the war broke out. I know that they ran into some difficulty. Yeah, they narrowly escaped a German invasion. Where? They were in the Netherlands. They made it back home, safe and in one piece. After the war, de Voila continued on with her company and school. And then in 1945, they were actually invited to become the resident company at Covent Garden that was going to reopen after the war. I've never been to Covent Garden, actually, which is a place in England that's on my list. Uh, I'm sure you have. Really. I obviously have. You obviously have. <laughs> I haven't gone to the theatre, but like, do you think I was going to go to London and not go, ah, Royal <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, that's where they reopened. And that's where, as I mentioned earlier, their big kind of remind or their big production when it opened was The Sleeping Beauty, which was the show that Nanette seen when she was just a little girl. So that was really nice. That's the one I was talking about with the 50 pirouettes. Yeah. 50 pirouettes. Mm-hmm. How long would that take them? I don't know. But she just like spins around like 50 times. You'd fall over after <laughs> doing that. You get sick. Like that's... I, mean, I need to watch that actually. That's amazing. I think the idea is that you're a good enough ballerina. I know. It's just... They're just amazing. Like I can't... It's just the skill and dedication that it takes is insane. 
I can imagine us in college trying to spin you around 50 times to... <laughs> in a drunken state. Oh no, Maria's on crutches again. <laughs> oh no, but she wants to be a prima ballerina. <laughs> We're getting her there. <laughs> Sorry. So they opened up to Grand Acclaim and in Covent Garden. They also went on tour to America, which was really, really exciting. And they continued on that, I think, for a few years doing tours in America. Yeah. And actually, she's, I don't know too much about this, but she also went to Turkey and set up the, I think, Turkish Ballet there or School of Ballet and Iran as well. Oh, cool. Cool. Both of those are cool. She got around. She spread. Sorry. She spread her ballet wild oats all around the world. Spread the love of ballet everywhere, not just back to Ireland, not to England, beyond. So she her influence was felt all around the world, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, God, I must say I felt very inferior reading about her. <laughs> you know? <laughs> is that the point of this podcast for us to just feel completely um well so far this season it's all been really grim so I think that this is the first one of like oh I'm so inferior as opposed to like I'm so glad that wasn't my life okay fair enough well (laughs) I'll say yeah I definitely felt inferior you know any day now you watch out I'm gonna set up things after this so we'll talk about how I became the Royal Ballet, as you know today. She was made a dame by the British Empire. She didn't give herself that title. So I don't think we can call ourselves dames. We can, but... Well, we can, yeah. (laughs) I feel like if we call ourselves James, though, it always has to have, like, a a weird old-timey accent of, like, broads and dames. Hey, I'm Dame Maria. (laughs) Yeah, so um, <laughs> she was made a dame by King George in 1951. And in 1956, her company and school received a charter from Queen Elizabeth. And that's when they became known as the Royal Ballet and the Royal Ballet School. Has a good ring to it, I feel. Really established it. She was 32 years as a director of the, of the company. Um, and she retired then in 1963. 32 years was a good amount of time to put in and get it up off the ground and get it into one of the most famous ballet companies in the world. And she continued on at the school, though. She continued kind of in a director kind of kind of manner and overseeing the school for a long time. And then when she retired from school, I think it was 1977. Yeah, so she continued on for another 10 plus years in the school what age was she roughly when she retired from everything then she was late 70s she was about 70 79 maybe I think she was old like she was active right up until she was like okay yeah she um she kept going like she retired a bit earlier from the company but she kept going with the school so she was so active throughout her whole life really it, it sounded like essentially it it was her life you know like her students and the company were everything and as I mentioned earlier they referred to her as madame and she was regarded very affectionately by them I suppose if she retired around 77 she passed away into her hundreds I think it was 101 or 102 so 
even in that kind of gap throughout all those years she would still attend productions I'm sure still pop into the school yeah so she was really really active but she put her whole life into it so she didn't want to see it go to waste she wanted to keep an eye on it (laughs) I kind of imagine her in her 90s as you know that scene in The Lion King where Simba's dad is that Mufasa Mufasa shows Simba like all of the land and it's like this is all your land behold <laughs> her in her 90s just kind of walking in and being like behold this is mine <laughs> yeah, I know. yeah like she looked in her later years she just looks exactly like you can imagine the headmaster or master of a of a ballet school to look like as I said yeah she was very beautiful when she was younger she was a very impressive lady overall I was very impressed very impressed by her life you know made it through two world wars mm-hmm. She was born in 1898, so yeah. Made it through two, uh, <laughs> through two wars. We haven't even made it through one, Maria. Um, and I would like it to stay well. that way, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're making it through this pandemic, so that's something. She left behind an amazing legacy. She set up companies, schools, and then schools abroad as well. As I mentioned, yeah, I think it was Turkey, Iran... I think there was another one actually as well. So, God, she left behind so much and really set up ballet in England. Like without her, something was going anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome, England. Thanks, England. (laughs) Thank you so much for researching her and coming on to talk to us about her she is somebody who I have been curious to know about for a while because I was super surprised when I found out she was Irish with a name like that and also the Royal Ballet it's not something that you'd expect to have its origins in Wicklow no it's crazy absolutely crazy and so yeah I'm really thankful and thank you everybody for listening if you would like to share us please do or even if you wouldn't like to share us please also do rate us review us interact with us on social networks we're the phenomenal podcast on instagram and facebook and wasn't it nice to have an episode where nobody ended up in a mental asylum or dead wasn't that fun yeah absolutely (laughs) but yes thank you everybody for listening and please join us again in two weeks time where we will have another episode goodbye Thank you.